communalism remained liberal until 1937 after which it started taking a rather extremist face while liberal communalists based themselves on the idea that india consists of different religion based communities which have their specific interests differences in, in these interests led to mutual conflict between the two religions or the two communities and their merger into a single nation kind of became the ultimate goal of indian politics thus to bring all communities into one mutual ground and to reach this ultimate goal liberal communalists demanded separate communal rights safeguards and reservations we've covered this in our previous episode in quite much detail but to try and understand the rise of extreme communalism we need to understand how liberal communalism had a narrow social base because it was politically based only on the upper and middle classes struggle now communalism started taking the position of extremism and fascism right after 1937 it started basing itself on the politics of hatred fear and irrationality the idea of domination and suppression became the ultimate theme of this communal propaganda which started unleashing hatred against the followers of other religions and this also stated that the interests of hindus and muslims were declared exclusively in conflict with each other now the communalists started attacking other communities with fervor fear contempt and bitter hatred if i have to mention in the words of wc smith now the extreme communalists started operating themselves on the principle of the bigger the lie the better and in that sense they also started attacking their co-religionists who supported the idea of nationalism and started speaking extremes against beat indian national congress or gandhi or whosoever leader who was in support of the idea of nationalism agreed so by 1937 communism acquired a popular base among the masses and for the idea to gain an aggressive base within the urban lower middle classes people made appeals to religion and they tried to appeal to the irrational fear and hatred that lied between these classes to arouse a sense of emotion instead of addressing radical social economic factors that had to be addressed this was because of the reactionary upper class base of communalism so the transfer of communalism from liberal to extremist phase had multiple reasons few of them are as a result of what happened in the civil disobedience movement in the year of 1930 and 34 congress emerged as a dominant political force in the election of 1937 and and their nationalist theme was growing like never before so this led to other political parties of uh, you know feudatory landlords and others to have a drastic decline moreover the youth which were included uh, and in the working class the peasants and others were now increasingly aligning themselves towards the left this made the national movement more radicalized and its economic and political policies became more fervent so the zamindars the landlords and the other jagirdari elements found themselves to be defenseless and their interests were no longer being represented and they were they were no longer public about their interests and they started resorting to communalism as their new found defense because of how 
the the issues of these middle classes and the economic and social issues were kind of gaining mass movement this trend was particularly visible across uh, united provinces bihar punjab and bengal uh, for example in punjab the big landlords and the muslim bureaucratic elements who had initially supported the semi communal and loyalist party uh, the unionist party gradually shifted to towards the muslim league in the years of 1937 to 45 which promised to protect their interests now this was particularly because the unionist party being a provincial party could no longer protect uh, themselves against the congress's nationalist nationwide appeal similarly was the case of the muslim zamindars and jotedars of bengal and even in the northern and western provinces of india hindu zamindars landlords merchants money lenders they all began shifting towards hindu communal parties also to attract them uh, vd savarkar the then president of the hindu mahasabha started criticizing the class struggle between the landlords and the tenants similarly in the other parts of punjab the hindu communalists became more active in defending the money lending and trading interests right and another reason for this shift from liberal to extreme communalism right after 1937 can be cited in the way colonial rulers started aligning their policy of divide and rule towards religious communalism since it was growing and this was obviously because of the failure of their earlier attempts to create division since all of them were overpowered by the nationalist movements for example the non brahmin challenge in maharashtra and south india mobilization of scheduled castes against the indian national congress or splitting of right and left wings all of them were fizzled out even the interprovincial and interlingual rivalries had weakened after congress had accepted the validity of linguistic states and the cultural diversity of the indian people now moreover the winning of Indian National Congress in the 1937 elections had specifically swayed away all the major social and political groups of the colonial ideology that existed so the rising of communal angle seemed to be the only card available to the colonialists to repress the national movement and bring about the entire situation of the country onto their hands so they put all their stakes on it while setting a major emphasis on muslim communalism even though it was headed by jinnah who colonialists disliked because of the anti colonial viewpoint and yes especially after the world war in 1939 the idea of communalism kind of gained more traction uh and it was further enhanced in in the minds of the colonial rulers as well so when the congress withdrew its ministries and demanded for complete freedom of india and the transfer of power immediately after the war was over the british had started banking on a muslim league whose politics and demands were opposite to that of the congress and to divide the national opinion they began to officially back the muslim communalism and gave the league power to veto any political settlement and they recognized them as the sole spokespersons for muslims so the muslim league agreed to this collaboration with the british government even the hindu mahasabha and the other communal organization extended their support to the colonial rulers to safeguard the communal interests their very own communal interests right so the the colonial rulers the britishers too began to accept the support of these communalist parties and they started backing muslim communalism and remained uh 
you know they refrained themselves from criticizing the the kind of power that this party was exercising so in the elections of 1937 both the muslim league and the hindu mahasabha had fought on the grounds of liberal communalism but both lost very poorly whereas the league won 109 seats out of 482 allotted to them under separate electorates the hindu mahasabha didn't one way less so they realized that if they did not take to militant mass based politics that the uh, communalist parties were to eventually face their ultimate end so in the 1930s a right wing model of the mass politics gained strength among the hindu and the muslim communalists and they carried on with their vested interests but this kind of model eventually gained a rather fascist form right and even when we take a look back at the past there have been a lot many ways that were left for communalism to take an extreme form in the future in the near future for example congress had gone very far in accepting the muslim communal demands in the 1920s and the communal awards of 1932 and the government of india act of 1935 accepted nearly all the liberal communal demands neither did congress put forth logic and opposed any of the concessions being given to the communalists even when these concessions had no long term guarantee so after all the muslim communalist demands were accepted there was no real way left for these communal organizations to move forward with either they would have dissolved or would have discovered a new demand or new threats to their communities so all in all all of this blurred the vision which created a conscious design for extreme communalism to fatten and grow and move forward in the near future yeah quite similar was the case with the hindu communists as well right so until 1937 the congress had permitted both hindu and muslim liberal communists to work within the congress but under nehru and when i say under nehru it was under the left pressure so they were they were being frontally attacked they were not accommodated in both 1934 or the 37 elections and by 38 they were completely expelled so as a result hindu communalism faced a political extension so thereafter they too took to a new basis of growth the resultant was extreme communalism um bipin chandra emphasizes in his work that one of the logic behind communalism was that if they were to be checked under their initial stages it wouldn't have risen to any of its higher stages a fine example of this he gives would be that the life and history of jinnah which shows that if in infancy of communal ideas uh, were accepted it would be uh, inevitably mature to take over the individual desires and rationality of the person so this was how the ambassador of the hindu muslim unity ended up crying for a separate to elaborate on this example when jinnah came back to india after becoming a lawyer in 1906 he was a secular liberal nationalist and a follower of dada bhai nauroji he acted as his secretary at calcutta session of 1906 he opposed muslim league which was then at that moment being founded even aha khan the first president of the muslim league wrote to jinnah who was jinnah who was their toughest opponent he was bitterly against the principle of separate electorates as he said that it would divide the nation against itself so these were the kind of ideas that jinnah had held but we all know how it it went on and and how it all changed 
Exactly. And even Sarojini Naidu went on to entitle him as the ambassador of Hindu-Muslim unity. And even during the similar years, Jinnah was propagating the idea of national unity in the meetings, in the Congress meetings that he was addressing. Yet his initial step towards communalism happened without his conscious desire when he entered the Central Legislative Council from Bombay as a Muslim member under separate electorates. And moving ahead, his another step in 1913 slid him into a communal nationalist when he joined the Muslim League. Although he was still a nationalist, he favored Congress and kept opposing separate electorates. But subconsciously, he had assumed the role of a spokesman of the Muslim community as a whole. But this paired role that he was, you know, walking with reached its limit during the Lucknow Pact, where he went on to persuade Congress to accept the demands of separate electorates and communal reservations, while now specifically acting as the spokesperson of the Muslim communalism as a whole. Although from the core, he still remained a nationalist and committed to secular politics. For example, he resigned from the Legislative Council as a protest against the passing of the Rollet Bill and refused to believe the communal theme that self-government would lead to Hindu rule. And instead of this, he emphasized that the real issue is the home rule or the transfer of power from bureaucracy to democracy. Exactly. And when in 1919 and 20, when Congress took to mass politics, Jinnah disagreed. And with this, left Congress along with people like Surendranath Banerjee, Bipin Chandrapal, Tej Bahadur Sapru, C. Shankar Nair, and many more others who were of the same kind of thinking. And after this, when he saw that mere liberal politics had no future and neither could he go into political passivity, he turned towards communal politics. And thus, in the vicious cycle of communalism, he was transformed from being a nationalist to a communal nationalist and then a liberal communalist. Yet until the 1920s, communalism hadn't completely overpowered his nationalist ideas. For example, in 1924, when he revived the Muslim League with the demand for safeguarding the interests and the rights of the Muslims, his political base was to organize and stand in protection of their community. But on the other hand, he was also preaching Hindu-Muslim unity through a fresh Lucknow Pact cooperated with the Swarajists to fight against colonialists and their policies. So in 1927 and 28, he gave his support to boycott of the Simon Commission, although he did not join the mass demonstration against it. Thus, now his entire political base had become communalist, and if he were to give up communalism, his political influence would have also gone away. And this was evident by the decisions that he called during the Nehru Report of 28-29. Gradually, he started giving into more reactionary form of communal politics, and he ended up being the leader of the Muslim communalism as a whole. On his way of doing so, he ended up becoming close to people like Aga Khan and Muhammad Shafi. But he lost support of people like Emi Ansari and K. Sherwani and his lieutenant M.C. Chagla. Pinning down his 14 demands or his 14 points can be seen as a major symbol of Jinnah's transformation. Uh, we have covered these 14 points in our previous episode, so 
please make sure you go check it out. Um, his his further alienation from mainstream nationalism when Congress started organizing a radical mass movement during 1930 also became evident or the fact of his transformation from being uh, a nationalist in, into a communalist. So even the Muslim youth became inclined towards the left and Jinnah was now faced with a major dilemma. So hereafter, he decided to stay in Britain, but his political core made his return to India where he once again revived the declining league in 1936. But this time, he did so based on liberal communalism, and he did speak of Hindu-Muslim unity. For example, in, in his speech at Lahore in March 1936, Chinar says, and I quote, Whatever I have done, let me assure you there has been no change in me, not the slightest, since the day when I joined Indian National Congress. It may be that I have been wrong on some occasions, but it has never been done in a partisan spirit. My sole and only object has been the welfare of the country. I assure you that India's interest is and will be sacred to me and nothing will make me budge an inch from that position." Unquote. Following this, Jinnah asked Muslims to organize separately, but parallel to this, he also asked them to prove their loyalty towards the country and to put the interests of the country above the interests of the community. His plan behind this contrasting view must have been to use Muslim League to win enough seats to force another Lucknow Pact on Congress. Moreover, he assumed that Congress was bringing pre-Gandhian constitutional politics by participating in 1937 elections. So because of these assumptions and not having any particular agenda for the election since the communal award had already accepted whatever the league's demands were, Jinnah and the Muslim League fought in the 1937 election on a semi-nationalist Congress type of program. Their only demand was now the protection and promotion of the Urdu language or, or the script and the adoption of measures for the improvement of the general conditions of the Muslims. But Jinnah lost the elections, and losing the elections marked that Jinnah's assumptions were wrong. So now the alternative that was left with Jinnah was either that he would continue with the liberal communalism, which had already shown its result in the loss of the election, which he had not won, or entirely give up to communal politics. Another alternative was to take mass politics, which in his and the League's semi-loyalist view could be only based on the danger that Islam might be faced if the Hindus were to come into power, what they called the Hindu Raj. Now, Jinnah ended up choosing the second alternative, obviously, after his loss in 1937's election, and he moved towards extreme communalism. His entire political campaign now based itself upon appealing to his fellow Muslims on the basis of fear and insecurity that Congress did not want freedom from the colonial rulers, but wanted to bring the Hindu Raj in cooperation with the British, which would suppress the Muslim and eliminate Islam in India completely. 
And this transformation of Jinnah could be seen in his presidential address to the League in 1938, where he said that the high command of the Congress is determined to crush all the communities to establish the Hindu Raj in the country. And there were various addresses that followed similar ideology. For example, in 1940, he told the students at Aligarh that Mr. Gandhi's hope was to subjugate the Muslims under the Hindu Raj. At his presidential address in uh, 1941, he declared that in United India, the Muslims will be absolutely wiped out of their existence. And even in 1946, Jinnah referred to the caste Hindu fascist Congress who only wanted to dominate the minorities and rule India completely. This transformation of Jinnah from nationalist to extreme communalist was a very huge blow. And it became inevitable that even the average communal propagandists would fall to even worse who were already following the communal angle in their uh, political ideologies. For example, Fazalul Haq, who held responsible position at the Premier of Bengal, told at the 1938 session of the League that in Congress provinces, riots had laid the countryside waste and the Muslim life, limb and property have been lost and blood had freely flowed. That the Muslims are leading their lives in constant terror and oppressed by Hindus and their mosques were being defiled. Now the Muslim communalists also started targeting the nationalist Muslims as a whole. Leaders like Maulana Abul Kalam Azad and other nationalist Muslims were being marked as to the showboys of the Congress and traitors to Islam. They were even subjected to social terror during the years of 1945 to 1947 for not supporting the communal ideology or the ideology of Islam as a whole. Even Jinnah himself, during his presidential address in April 1943, described Khan Abdul Ghaffar as the in-charge of the Hinduizing influences and emasculation of the martial Pathans. Thus, the extreme communalism had brought forth religion as a propaganda. So in 1946, Muslims were asked to vote for the League because a vote for the League and Pakistan would count as the vote for the Islam. And it was promised that Pakistan would be ruled under Sharia. And Muslims were given a choice to choose between a mosque and a temple. So the fight between Congress and the Muslim League, which was initially at the political level, was illustrated as a fight between Islam and Kufr. This was the entire flow of the change, not only in the transformation of Jinnah's ideology, but how other communal organizations were taking place. Right, but this does not stand alone the cause of the rise of Muslim communalism. Um, at the similar time, Hindu communalism had also gained an extreme communal face, even though it had a completely different political route. Um, two major liberal communal leaders, Lala Lajpat Rai and uh, Madan Mohan Malviya, had kind of a similar journey that, that of Jinnah. 
Lala Lajpat Rai died in 1928, but Madan Mohan Malviya went on to find himself in a similar dilemma as that of Jinnah after the loss of 1937. Yet he decided to quit active politics, citing health reasons. But Hindu communalism went on to flourish. The basic logic of communalism had brought forth other communal leaders to the front line. The Hindu Mahasabha took a fascist form under V.D. Savarkar. The RSS, which was already working on fascist lines from beginning, started branching out beyond Maharashtra. So the idea of fear was also being played on the side of Hindu communalism as well. When V.D. Savarkar gradually started warning Hindus of the dangers of being dominated by Muslims. He, in 1937, said that Muslims want to brand the forehead of the Hindus and other non-Muslim sections in Hindustan with the stamp of self-humiliation and Muslim domination. He said that the Muslims want to reduce Hindus to a position of halots in their own land. In 1938, he went on to say that Hindus have already reduced themselves to slaves throughout their own land. However, the blow comes when RSS becomes the chief propagator of extreme communalism under the leadership of M.S. Kohlwalkar. In 1939, Kohlwalkar declared that if minority demands were accepted, the life of Hindus would run into the risk of being shattered. RSS, along with Kohlwalkar, attacked the Muslims, Congress, and other nationalist leaders for endangering the existence of the Hindus. They condemned the nationalist leaders for spreading the views by which Hindus now were beginning to think of old invaders as their friends. He wrote, quote, We have allowed ourselves to be duped into believing our foes to be our friends. That is the real danger of the day, our self-forgetfulness, unquote. Kohlwalkar viciously announced that if non-Hindu people wish to reside in Hindustan, they must adopt the Hindu culture, the language, and uphold the values of the Hindu religion. They must give up intolerance and ungratefulness towards this land and its long tradition. He goes on to write that we Hindus are at war with Muslims on one hand and the British on the other. Italy and Germany were two countries where ancient race spirit had re-risen. Even so with us, our race has to rise once again. Thus, giving Hindus the right of banishing Muslims. Stop quote. Now, RSS took a more fascist turn in, in the years 1946-47. to 47. They attacked Congress leaders saying that they had no spirit, no stamina to stand on their legs and fight for the independence of their motherland and that all this had to be injected into them in the form of Muslim blood. They went on to even accuse Gandhi in 1947 that those who declared no Swaraj without Hindu-Muslim unity have committed to the greatest treason on our society. Moreover, the Hindu communalists also tried to bring forth the theme of Hinduism and the Hindu culture in danger. And this campaign of fear and hatred carried out by the Hindu and Muslim communal communalists reaped itself in the form of various brutal killings. For example, in Calcutta in 1946, in the butchery of Hindus at Naukhali in Bengal, 
and of Muslims in Bihar in the bloodshed of partition in 1947 and the assassination of Gandhi by a Hindu communal fanatic. Well, the huge cost of the communal belief was paid by Muslims who remained or migrated to Pakistan. So after Pakistan was formed, Jinnah expected to go back to liberal communalism or secularism, which is very much, which was very much evident from his presidential address to the Constituent Assembly of Pakistan on 11 August 1947. He said, and I would like to quote, that you may belong to any religion or caste or creed that has nothing to do with the business of the state. We are starting with the fundamental principle that we are all citizens and equal citizens of one state. Unquote. But if we look at it, it was too late. Communalism had already caused a large division in history and had led to gruesome bloodshed. So as a consequence, it did more harm than any good to Muslims of Pakistan that most secular of persons would have ever imagined. Right. And now two major controversies arose due to this communal issue. Um, the two issues were that the viewpoint that if Jinnah would have been placated during the years of 1937-39, the communal problem would have been solved. The second was that if a coalition government would have been formed with the Muslim League in United Provinces in 1939, the issue could have been settled. So the rejection of Jinnah's political desires turned him into a separatist. But one should take a note here that Jinnah has already transformed into a liberal communalist before his political desires started to face dejection. Congress did not make the effort to come to a common point when it was negotiating with Jinnah in the years of 1937 and 39. Since Jinnah was already too caught up in this vicious loop of communalism, these negotiations always ended with failure and there, were, there was no arguable outcome for it. He also refused to tell the Congress that the demands which would satisfy him and lead him to join the Congress against the colonial rulers. The only demand that he kept coming up with was that Congress should declare itself as a Hindu body and accept the Muslim League as the sole representative of the Muslims. But as Rajendra Prasad also said, Congress could not have met this demand because it would mean to falsify the entire history and future of India. It would have completely turned India into a fascist state. The communal ideology that Jinnah was following was thus left with only one unfulfilled demand and that was separatism. The only alternative to this was to abandon politics. Therefore, in the early 1940s, Jinnah and the Muslim League came up with the demand for Pakistan, which was based on the theme that Hindus and Muslims were two separate nations and they should have separate homeland. And even the Hindu communalism moved in the similar direction and on the similar course. Though their demands for separatism could not come into play, they instead started asserting that Hindus were the only ones who could live in India, and if Muslims were to live, they should either live as second-class citizens or should be expelled. Now, we, if, now if we look at the second controversy that you mentioned, in the UP decision of 1937, 
coalition with the muslim league would have meant moving towards constitutional politics in which people had minimum role to play since the league did not support mass politics and jinnah had already declared muslims as the distinct third party in india much before the discussion in 1937 had taken place so the coalition had major consequences it would have also meant accepting congress the status of the hindu body that and entirely betraying the nationalist muslims who stood with secular ideas it would also have led to the abandoning of radical agrarian programs which were passed in faizpur in 1936 because the league was in support of the interest of the landlords and their representation the coalition would not have led to the passing of this particular bill and even the congress socialists and communists who played an important role in the up congress at that time had also pressured nehru to reject the coalition and threatened him with the launch of a you know a public campaign of their demands the fact here remains that communalism as an ideology could never be placated it had to be confronted which the congress did not do as we've discussed in our previous episode interestingly the left communists did try to appease the muslim league during the years of 42 and 46 but instead lost their best cadres to muslim communalism they even tried to form a coalition with them but they made a wise decision of withdrawing away The negotiations of the Congress and the left were trying to have with the League were based on the assumption that liberal communalists could be made to fight against extreme and fascist belief, which turned out to be a mere delusion. And moreover, in 1937, it was only the nationalist Muslims and the nationalist Hindus who were opposing the communalists' counterparts. Liberal communalists like Malviya. Shyam Prasad Mukherjee, these people failed to oppose Hindu communalism. Neither did leaders like Akhbal, who were followers of liberal ideals. They never opposed Muslim communalism as well. At at most, what they did was to keep quiet rather than giving in into extreme communalism. It is also not true that the Congress's failure in regards to communalism occurred in nineteen forty-seven when they accepted the partition of India. perhaps they had no other option during their time it can be argued that no other solution to the communal problem was left unless that the national leadership was willing to see the nation go into a civil war and let the war decide the result for itself the fact remains that not all historical situation have an instant solution certainly no solution existed for the communal problem until 1947 there can never be an instant solution for socio political problems like communalism and one needs to create conditions and forces in order to prepare for a long period of time over the years probably even decades in order to solve a problem such as communalism and the congress failed to do so the indian nationalists failed to wage a mass ideological political struggle against all form of communalism on the basis of patient and scientific exposure of its ideological content socio economic roots and political consequences in fact the congress relied too heavily on the negotiations with these communal leaders and it failed to evolve 
an effective long-term strategy to counter communalism, to counter it at levels of political and ideological and cultural spaces. And one can say that the Congress and its leadership have failed. So that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you everyone for tuning into our podcast. We hope you liked it. And if you did, please listen to our other episodes that cover a wide range of India's colonial past. Lately, we have been working on a series of the rise of communalism and the different kind of communalisms in the country. So please do have a look at our previous episodes. Please consider subscribing to our podcast and sharing it with your family and friends. And we are available on all podcast listening platforms and social media sites. This helps your support helps us create more amazing content for you. Do visit our website and check out more of our work. The link is in the description below. www.indiacolonized.com That's a colonized with an S. We've compiled a list of books and sources that might intrigue you to explore more on India's modern history. So don't forget to check it out. Until next time, stay safe, stay curious.